Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Um, so, to, uh, so today we're jumping back into our created series uh, in Genesis, uh, which we've entitled Created. And in this series, we've been answering the question, what are we all here for? Why do I exist? What are we created for? And if we don't have an answer to this, it leads to all sorts of dysfunction. We give our lives to our passions and we expect them to carry the weight of our souls, which leads to all sorts of destruction when we do that. We need to know our purpose. And two weeks ago, we talked about the creation of man and woman, that God created them with a unique purpose. We taught on the purpose of man, um, and the purpose of man was he was to work in the garden. He was to cultivate the raw materials of earth that would lead uh, to human flourishing. And this week, we are focused on what the Bible has to say uh, about the purpose of women. And y'all, I'm really excited to preach about this. I have been, uh, I have benefited greatly in my life from godly, powerful women. Uh, my mother is, um, sh- she is a firecracker for the Lord. And throughout my life, she has been a woman of grace, um, but also a, a woman of just intense power when it comes to her convictions with the Lord. And I have seen just in the last number of years through my mother, through a number of other women uh, in our church, through some other women in my past, that have spoken life into me, that have called me to be the man, that called me up to be the man that I need to be. And it's because of that that I come here this morning and I'm excited to preach about biblical womanhood because I've benefited so much from it throughout my whole life. But listen, there's no way that I can cover all that it means to be a woman in one sermon. I will hit the high points of a woman's purpose and I hope to give us some handles on what scripture, on what scripture teaches. Um, But also make sure that you attend community group this week because we're going to dive deeper into this idea. And that's a great place for you to kind of talk and wrestle with these ideas. Um, So here's our outline for this morning. Here's our outline for this morning. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is God's purpose for women. Okay, so what is God's purpose for women? Then I'm going to talk about how sin distorted that purpose. And then I'm I'm going to give you like five ways that that happened. And then right after I give you the distortion, I'm going to show you how Christ brings women back to to God's perfect design. Um, So that's going to be the outline uh, for this morning. But let's start with God's purpose for women. God's purpose for women. So today we'll be in Genesis 2, 18 through 25, but I will jump around to a few different places to help us with our understanding of womanhood. But we need to start by jumping back into Genesis 1, 27. So let me read that for you. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. The implications of this verse are massive. Both men and women are created in God's image, which means that they have a uniquely greater value than anything else. So by saying that men and women are created in in his image, 
ultimately means that we represent God to our world and are therefore infinitely valuable to God. Because men and women have inherent value, our value is not found in our utility or in our ability to perform for God. Our value is simply found in who we are. We are image bearers. And nothing else in all of creation is given this same description. So no, your dog is not an image bearer, no matter how many Christmas sweaters you put on at this holiday season, right? You know, it's not, it's not an image bearer. And cats, I don't really know what to do with them. They're just a, a result of sin. I have no idea what to do with that. Uh, so we'll leave them alone. Um, but um, but in, all seriousness, in all seriousness, people being created in God's image, that is why we reject ideas like racism. It's why we fight to help foster care kids and kids in adoption. It's why we work toward helping people in poverty. All these things are big issues to God because it affects those whom he created in his own image. So this image of God idea is also a big deal when it, becomes to, when it comes to women because most of history has involved men treating women either intentionally or unintentionally as if they are an inferior species. Uh, in Dorothy Sayers' essay, Are Women Human? I read this week, uh, basically what she said in that essay was that she was frustrated by how society, and especially the church, had overlooked how much men and women have in common as God's image bearers. And here's what she said. She said, it is here that most students of the woman question have failed, and the church more lamentably than most, and with less excuse. The first thing that strikes the careless observer is that women are unlike men, that they are the opposite sex. But the fundamental thing that is that women are more like men than anything else in the world. Anything else that was created, women are more like men than anything else. And let me be clear with something that should be obvious to all of us, but women are human. Women are human. Women are created fully in the image of God, and that is a big deal. Here's why that's a big deal. For centuries, women have had to live in a world where they are evaluated by their gender and not by their humanity. So no matter what activity she's in, she's evaluated by how she's doing that said activity as a woman. So Sayers says, probably no man has ever troubled to imagine how strange his life would appear to himself if he was unrelentingly assessed in terms of his maleness. So imagine if people wrote books like The Males of the Bible or headlines like male doctor wins Nobel Peace Prize. Imagine if that happened all day, every day for hundreds of years. Sayers said that she would doubt that or be surprised that any man would retain any kind of a self-respect. But Christianity says that male and females are image bearers. Yes, it's true that they are created differently and these differences come with different responsibilities, but those differences are complementary. And when these responsibilities are embraced, they help one another out. And in the scope of creation, their similarities far outweigh their differences. And we'll see that come up more as we walk through this. And in Genesis 1.27, again, it's a declaration that both men and women were created to glorify God. People are supposed to show our world what God is like by who we are and how we live. 
And this gives us our first pet purpose statement of what a woman is created for. And here it is. Women are created to glorify God. Women are created to glorify God. But in order to do that, women need to know how they were created. And I want to mention one more thing before we dive in. To say that, women, that men and women are equal in value does not mean that this is some kind of a feminist idea. Feminism's aim is to seek to liberate women from any and all need of men. That's not the message of the Bible. God created men and women to flourish together. So, okay, let's jump into this, uh, to our passage today. Uh, it's in Genesis 2, 18 through 25. So I'm going to read this in full so that we have an understanding of where we are, but I'm only going to focus on a couple of verses. So remember the context of where we are. So man is working in the garden. He's got a job. He's under God's authority. And now comes the creation of the woman. This is God's word, verse 18. Then the Lord, of God, uh, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib that he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. So uh, in Genesis one twenty seven, we just saw that both men and women are created as image bearers, who are both charged with the task of bringing God's glory to this world. So the task of men and women as separate genders is the same. It's God's glory. But in Genesis 2, the context has shifted a little bit, and it's changed to a marriage context. And this is the first picture of marriage that we see in the Scripture. So let me jump back into verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone, and I will make a helper corresponding to him. So this was the first time that God made something that was not good. So to be clear, sin had not yet entered into the world. That will happen later. But there was something that was not good in God's creation. So what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that God's creation was bad, but that it was incomplete. Man was fully made in the image of God, but the provision of the woman is what makes creation complete and very good according to the end of Genesis 1. So the clear message in this account is that it wasn't that the woman needed the man, it's that the man needed a woman. He needed a helper. So what does this word helper mean? Well, this is really important for us to understand if we want to understand God's purpose for womanhood. Uh, in Hebrew, the word etzer, this word or helper, is most often used in the Old Testament as a reference to God being a helper for man. 
So this happens in Exodus 18, Deuteronomy 33, Psalm 33, 20. I'll, I'll show you one today. Uh, Moses named his son Eliezer because he said, the God of my father was my helper, same word, helper, and, and rescued me from Pharaoh's sword. So if God is Etzer, or the helper, then this must be a position of honor. It can't mean that God is now somehow inferior to man. That's crazy. In the same way, women are not inferior to men. It's not a demotion. It doesn't mean that you're a doormat. The helper communicates a power to intervene and help someone who is weak. So just as an example, if you ask someone to help you move out of your apartment and into another apartment, what you're saying is that you are too weak to accomplish that task on your own. You need help. The person who helps you move doesn't suddenly become the inferior one because they, want the, because they come and help you. No, they are the, help, they are the strong one. And the woman brought, was brought into a situation that was not good. And she takes it from a situation that is not good to very good. But let's also look at this uh, place where it says that it w- that she was correspond. There was no helper corresponding to him. Some of your versions might say fit, but this Hebrew word is is konegdo, which means like opposite. So man and woman, they were like opposites, and it was it was good that he was alone. Uh, I'm sorry, it, it wasn't good that he was alone. So God made the woman who was like him, but also not like him. This is where we pull the idea of complementarianism from. Man and woman, don't com- they don't compete with each other. They complement each other. Where he is weak, she is strong, and vice versa. So if the woman was created to be a helper to the man, we're also able to clearly see the purpose for the woman. So, so here, I'm going to say this really quickly. It's going to be on the screen. Ultimately, an image, as an image bearer, women are created to glorify God. We've already said that. They're created to glorify God. But in this passage, we see that the woman was created to help man in the cultivation of creation for the sake of human flourishing. The woman was created to help man in the cultivation of creation for the sake of human flourishing. Eve was created to help her husband in this joint mission to cultivate creation for human flourishing. She does this by, her in, by influencing her husband for good and for shaping him and shaping all of creation to flourish. She does this by coming alongside her husband and using her gifts to influence him and the world towards flourishment. So the next question would be, well, what does this look like in action? Well, I think there are two primary places where this plays itself out. Uh, the first one is the home and in the church. And if you are a single woman this morning, this really does mean a lot for you. So please don't check out. This is important to everyone in the room this morning. So don't check out because this is, this is hugely important for us to understand. But because scripture helps us interpret scripture, that's really important. I think it's good for us to go look at another marriage passage to help us. So, we'll, so let's look at Ephesians 5. Uh, so if you'll turn there to Ephesians 5, which talks about a marriage and a, how a marriage and a home should look like. And the reason I'm starting with marriage is because that's where Genesis 2 starts. Genesis 2, 18 through 25 is a picture of marriage. And since it's a picture of marriage, I think Ephesians 5, which is another marriage passage, would help us in our understanding of this word helper. 
So here's what Ephesians 5 says, starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. So it says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Ladies, to be a helper means to submit to the leadership God has given to your husband. Here is where we see this differentiation of roles. Husbands are to obey God by committing to be the head of the wife and the family and by setting the spiritual tone and direction of the home. And wives obey God through submission by being a helper to her husband. And I'll summarize all of this in, uh, with verse 33 of this chapter. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself. So the husband is to love his wife as himself. A, a husband loves himself a lot, right? So a husband is to love him, his wife as much as he loves himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. She's to respect her husband. And when this happens, marriage, when this happens in marriages, our world flourishes, and it is a beautiful picture of the gospel. So again, submission doesn't mean doormat. It also doesn't mean that you can't have opinions on anything. It's actually quite the opposite, actually. Well, let, and let, me, let me speak to, to married couples for just a moment. Let me ask you this question. Husband and wives, do you have a family vision? Do you have a family vision? Do you have a vision for your family? God has brought couples together to bring him glory. Adam and Eve's vision was to cultivate creation for the sake of human flourishing. And like them, every family should have some kind of a vision or an idea of what God is calling them to do to specifically help glorify God for the sake of human flourishing in our world. Husbands are to lead their families in going after that goal. And wives are to submit to, to support, and to help her husband, and to come alongside him in this unified vision that they both agreed on and that God has given them. When a husband and a wife have a unified vision for how God has gifted them and what he has called them to do, these kinds of families become world shakers. These kinds of families become world shakers. Why? Because the husband doesn't have a different vision from the wife, and the wife's got a different vision from the husband. They both have to have the same vision. When that happens, crazy things for God happens. It's amazing. And my goodness, mothers have the opportunity to shepherd little hearts day in and day out, and they sharpen their kids like little arrows being ready to shot out into the darkness of the world with the mission of helping our world flourish because there is so much darkness. Ladies, listen, submission. Submission is so powerful. There is so much power in submission. In marriage, you have the power to influence your entire home for good. God has gifted you with an ability to make things flourish. Think about it this way. All right, I want you to finish this, this quote with me. You're all going to know it. I just want you to finish it with me, okay? All right, here we go. If mama ain't happy... Ain't nobody happy, right? So, so you see, even the world picks up on this. A wife and a mother um, has the ability to set the temperature of a home that is safe, that is comforting, but it's also challenging. It's empowering and loving for her husband and for her kids. Women have the power to breathe life 
into everything they come into contact with. Women have been gifted by God to breathe life into every sphere of influence in their own life. That is enormously important for women to understand. That is so much power that you have. Praise God. Now, I think one of the questions that's often asked at this point is, well, what about women who work? Can women work outside of the home? Yes, of course. You know, but Titus 2 does encourage young wives to be busy at home or to literally be a homemaker. That's the translation there. But it does not say that a woman should only be busy at home. Does that make sense? She shouldn't, she shouldn't have to only be busy at home. In Proverbs 31, we see a woman who carried the household responsibilities while also running a business. That's pretty baller. There's, nothing, there's also nothing that says a man can't accept more than the usual share of household responsibilities because his wife wanted to complete her education or to pursue a career, though I do think that both would want to consider what kind of an impact that might make on their family. So I do think it'd be good for a conversation to happen there. But it seems like in Scripture, there's a lot of room for individual decisions and arrangements about how all this is carried carried out. But however, one thing is clear. One thing is clear, and that's that God has tasked the man with leading the fa- with leading the family, and the wife is to submit to his leadership. So we've talked about the home. Well, how does this play out in the church? And to answer this question, we need to go back to this word submission. Here's the deal. Submission is not primarily a marriage concept that only women, married women need to observe. Nor is marriage the ultimate goal to achieve. Submission applies to all women everywhere, single, married, young, old. Submission is actually a Christian concept designed for all believers. But the question is, is how does it play itself out? Now think Ephesians 5, chapter 1, helps, or verse 1 helps us here. So let's read that, Ephesians 5, 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly beloved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial fra- fragrant offering to God. So Paul starts out Ephesians 5 by telling his people, by telling the people to imitate God as beloved children. How? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Jesus sacrificed himself for us by submitting to his father's will. Remember what Jesus said the night before he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane? Remember that? He was about to be arrested. He was about to go to the cross. And he said, Father, he was praying to his his father, and he said, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Jesus submitted. He modeled this for us and submitted to the Father's will. And Christians are to submit to one another in love by sacrificing for their brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul continues this thought in Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 21. So go to verse 15 there. It says, pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. 
And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? Verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 21, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. All Christians are to glorify God by submitting to one another in love, by sacrificing themselves to help serve other people. Much of Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 is focused on how to live as a new Christian with this idea of submitting to one another. But in 15 through 21, these believers submit to one another by sacrificing. So let's walk through that again. We see that because of the, because the days are evil, verse 19, when you are filled with the Spirit, you will speak to one another in psalms, in hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making music with your heart. This is an example of a people helping one another flourish by encouraging one another by encouraging one another. Why? All because Christ sacrificed himself for us. Because of his sacrifice, Christians sacrifice. And we also see this in the book of Acts in chapter 2 where believers are sacrificing and submitting to one another by sacrificing everything for the sake of their brothers and sisters. This church was marked by sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. They, look at what, they looked at what Jesus did, and they said, how can I not submit my will to your will, Lord? How can I not sacrifice myself for the sake of the gospel? And they served one another by giving all their material possessions and by gathering, gathering with one another and having all things in common. Church, they took care of one another. They took care of one, of one another. Women, the calling you have is the same calling given to all believers. You have the same calling that single men have. Single women, you have the same calling that married women have. You submit to God by laying down your life, by sacrificing your life to bring glory to God. You submit to God by laying down your life and sacrificing it for whatever the gospel calls you to do. And single women, you have the ability to drastic, I'm not exaggerating, to drastically impact every sphere of influence you're connected to. Whether that be at work, the, friendship you're, the friendships you're in, your roommates, your community groups, with the church at large, with the church here. The world needs single women to use the gifts that God has given them. And not only that, the church needs the, all women to serve the church, to bring about human flourishing in our world. And let me give you some example just on how some of the women in our church are bringing about human flourishing right now. We have ladies that are leading community groups. Uh, this year, we sent one of our single ladies to, to go to Kenya to be a missionary. And right now, we have women being trained up to become deacons. And let me say, this is something we say all the time, but the church is God's plan A to reach the world for Christ. And if this is true, single ladies, single women must play a huge part in what that looks like. Ladies, listen, Mercy Church, we want you to flourish. We want all of our women to flourish. 
And we have some things that we're rolling out next year in 2019 to specifically pour into the women of our church, especially women who have gifts of teaching and stuff like that. We want to develop the women of our church. We would be foolish not to. And this is also why we need more female staff members. And I'll be honest, we're not where we want to be in this right now. We're not where we want to be, but we're going to work towards that. Because it's important for the church to utilize the gifts of women in the church. So aside from the office of pastor, or for, from elder or pastor, a woman can lead in any, compa- in, in, in any capacity. Now, that doesn't mean that women aren't gifted to teach or anything like that. That's crazy. There's, I, know a lot more, uh, I know a lot of gifted women that probably teach better than I do, even in our own church. That's not the deal. The, the role of elder and pastor, the Lord has, has set that aside for men. But bottom line, ladies, God has designed you to drastically impact our church and our world for the sake of the gospel. We can't do this without you. We cannot do this without you. You are important to our church. You are important to God. But sin distorted God's design. So here's the second part. Sin distorted God's design. So what I'm going to do in a few minutes is I'm going to walk through different um, ways. I think there's five ways that, that sin distorted God's design for women. And then I'm also going to go and come behind that and show how Christ brings women back to God's perfect design. So I'll say the distortion, and I'll say how Christ, how Christ fixes that. So that we'll walk through that in a minute. But so far, we've talked about the fact that women are image bearers. They're tasked to bring God glory by helping uh, with human flourishing. Wives are to come alongside their husbands by being helpers and submitting to his leadership in the home. And how single women play a big part in bringing about human flourishing in our churches and in our world by submitting to one another by laying their life down for others. But the question is, is how does sin distort this design? How does sin distort this design? And as I've been working through this, and I, and I, was, I was walking through Genesis 3, and I saw all the ways that this happened, um, I just want you to know, ladies, I recognize, I recognize this week the weightiness of the spiritual battle that you face day in and day out. What y'all face is really hard. It is. It is really hard. But ladies, following Jesus according to how you've been designed is a glorious calling that leads to extraordinary results. But you need to know that you are under attack and the results of sin in a woman's life can be so destructive. So ladies, please listen into this. And as one of your pastors, I want to warn you of what is headed your way or what you might be in right now. So please listen in here. This is a big deal because I think there are five major ways that sin distorts God's design for women. I think there's five major ways. And again, I'm going to walk through these one by one and I'll show you how Christ fixes that. But here's the first one. Here's the first one. The first one is doubt. Doubt. And that's listening to Satan's lies instead of standing firm in God's truth. So it's listening to Satan's lies instead of standing firm in God's truth. So in Genesis 3, this is where I'm getting all of this from, we see a story about how God, uh, how Adam and Eve sinned against God. 
And when they did that, it sent everything into a downward spiral. The worst of all is that it caused their sin to enter into the world, and it ruined their relationship with God and with each other. And even though God had given a command to Eve, she failed to accurately proclaim it to the enemy when she was tempted. In the same way, women are tempted to elevate their emotions above the scriptures and to distort the scriptures to, to fit their desires. We saw that with Eve. Eve saw, Eve saw that the food was delightful to the eye and it was desirable to make one wise, so she ate it, even though she knew what God's words were to her. God gave Eve everything that she would have ever needed. But the limitation was don't eat of this tree because if you do, you will die. And her husband Adam taught her about this, but Eve's sin was that she was tempted by Satan's lies and she started to doubt God's goodness. Instead of standing firm on what God had told her, she began to doubt him. Ladies, please don't fall into the trap of doubting God's word and disobeying him simply to fit your desires. Doubting God's goodness and disobeying what you know to be true is an assault against God. Why? Because he gave everything for you. He gave everything for you. How could we doubt him? And here's how Christ brings that back into perfect design. Instead of doubt, ladies, be guarded in truth. Instead of doubt, be guarded in truth. And here's how Jesus modeled this. Jesus shows us that unlike Eve, when Jesus, was enca- when Jesus encountered Satan in the wilderness, he stood firm and, st- and responded with God's truth. Like Jesus, ladies, you need to to fight doubt with God's word and refuse to let circumstances dictate how you follow Christ. Trust in God's word over how you feel. Your life in Christ, your walk with him depends on this. Your intimacy with God depends on this. Here's the second thing, the second distortion, and that is covetousness covetousness and that's comparing what god has not given you with what god has given others so comparing what god has not given you with what god has given others so even though god provided abundantly for eve she focused on what god had not given her in the same way women are tempted to compare what they don't have with what they believe others do have, whether that's actually true or not. So here's how Christ redeems this. So instead of covetousness, ladies, live in grateful contentment. Instead of covetousness, live in grateful contentment. Even though Jesus took the form of a servant, he never coveted the riches of the world. Instead, he emptied himself for the sake of the God, for, for, for others' sake. Ladies, the comparison game, it has to stop. It's killing you. Ladies, as we studied Romans 8 last week, God is not holding out on you. He's your dad and he loves you and he wants your best. And I'm sure you've heard us say this before, but comparison is the thief of joy. 
Comparison is the thief of joy. When you, you, when you compare yourself to other people, you are telling God that his plan for you isn't good enough. That the things that you are walking through isn't good enough. That the gifts that he has given you isn't good enough. If God died for you, then why would he also not spare no expense in growing you into who you were called to be? He loves you. And ladies, Pinterest and Instagram is not real. It's not real. I met a girl a couple weeks ago who was quite literally enslaved to the opinions of others and constantly peeking into others' lives. So she peeks into other people's lives and then bases how God was feeling about her by how other people's lives looked, even though it's not real. Think about that. Someone else's seemingly awesome life, which probably is all fake, caused her deep distress. Why? Because God must be holding out on me, she said. God isn't holding out on her. Ladies, God is not holding out on you. Jesus died for you. The third is rebelliousness. Rebelliousness. And this is distrusting the words of authority and pushing against the structures of authority. So distrusting the words of authority and pushing against the structures of authority. So even though God's authority came with blessings and his protection and his loving presence, Eve doubted his words and broke the limits that he placed on her. In the same way, women are tempted to distrust and push back against the authority that God has put in their life, the authorities. So Christ redeems this in this way. Instead of living in rebellion, ladies, submit to God's authority. Instead of living in rebellion, uh, submit to God's authority. Look at how Jesus did this. Jesus trusted the words of his father and humbly submitted to them. He submitted to the will of God, even though the will of God led to him going to the cross. And ladies, I think, I think this comes down to one question, really. And I need you to ask yourself this this morning. Do you actually trust God? Like, for real. Like, do you actually trust him? Do you trust him enough to trust those whom he has put in your life for you to submit to, which would actually be for your good? Whether that would be your husband, your friend who's speaking into your life, your mentor, your community group leader, the elders of Mercy Church. Do you trust that God has put these people in your life for your flourishment and for your good so that you can grow in Christ? Do you trust God enough to trust him with that? Here's the fourth distortion. And that's manipulation. Manipulation. And this is using your influential power for your own gain rather than others' good. So using your influential power for your own gain rather than others' good. God sent Eve into the garden to be a blessing to Adam and to the world. And to turn something that was not good into something that was very good. But Eve used her influential power in order to get what she desired. 
And in the same way, women are tempted to use their God-given gifts in order to manipulate instead of godly influence. So ladies, here's what you need to do. Instead of manipulation, ladies, please use your godly influence. Use your godly influence. Instead of manipulation, use your godly influence. Look at what Jesus did. Jesus brought, uh, brought powerful and permanent change into the world, not by exalting himself in power, but by humbly, uh, humbly obeying the Father's will and laying down his power. Ladies, as, as helpers, you have the opportunity to breathe life into this world. You have the power to, to take things that are not good, things that are dysfunctional, things that are broken, people that are broken, and you get to speak life back into them. That is a huge deal, and bring these things that are broken back to life. What a calling. And one of the clearest ways that I've seen this work out in my own life, and I've seen it, seen it in other people's lives as well, is in the words that you use. It's in the words that you use. There are fewer things greater in our life than women who speak words of encouragement in a time of need. I cannot tell you how many times I have been down, I have been out, and a woman of God, a friend of mine, um, has come to me in that time of need and has reminded me of who I am in Christ. Ladies, these words of encouragement are powerful. Fight to do that all the time. Encourage one another. But unfortunately, when you use your words for evil, there are fewer things that are more destructive. Ladies, words are weighty. They can really hurt. And when words are used improperly or used to hurt, that, God, it, it breaks things. Use your God-given gifting to bring flourishment. And here's the last one. And this is the one that, gosh, this, this one breaks me. As I look into your life, as I look into the things that you wrestle with, <clears throat> And that's shame. Shame, hiding from the Lord instead of drawing near in confession and repentance. Shame, hiding from the Lord instead of drawing near in confession and forgiveness. Eve's response to sin was the same as Adam's. She hides from the Lord and she covers herself. Women are tempted to run away from God in sinful shame instead of drawing near to be covered by Christ's blood. This same distrust caused women to sin in the same way it caused them, causes them to run. Ladies, instead of shame, you need to run to God. You need to run to God. Jesus took on your sin and your shame and he defeated it. He opened a way for you to draw near to God in full assurance and faith, knowing that your sins will be forgiven. Ladies, run back to Jesus. Run back to him. He is waiting for you. If you remember after Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They hid. But what did God do? He came down to them. Jesus came down to earth for you. He died on the cross for you. He rose from the grave for you. 
Why? So that you could be reconciled back to him. Praise be to God. So ladies, as I close this sermon this morning, I want to do with with you like Pastor Spence did uh, with the men a couple weeks ago. So ladies, I'd like for you to stand for a moment. I'd like for you to stand. And I want to speak some words of affirmation over you. I want to speak some words of affirmation over you. And here's the first one. Ladies, you were created by God to help creation flourish. All of you in here were created by God to help creation flourish. This world is broken. And you have the power in an instant, in a moment, to come in and to help and to bring flourishing in a world that desperately needs it. Please do that. We need you in our church. We need you in our city. We need you in our world. Help bring flourishing. The second is that sin distorted your purpose. We all know that. Sin distorted your purpose. But you need to remember that Christ died to redeem you. So even though you might be wallowing in shame and in sin, even though you might be enslaved to it right now, you need to understand that Jesus loves you and he died for you. All you need to do is come home. His arms are wide open and waiting for you. Ladies, please come back. Come back home. And here's the last one. In Christ, you can do these things. In Christ, you can be guarded in truth and not believe lies. You can live in grateful contentment. God's not holding out on you. You can submit to God's authority. Those whom he's put there, it's for your good. You can use your godly influence instead of tearing down. And by the grace of Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection, because of that, you can run to God. You can run to God. That is great news. That is great news this morning. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray for the women of this church. God, I pray that you help them to know that they were created to glorify you and to help creation flourish. There is something about how you created them that men cannot do. Only they can do it. Only they can bring flourishing because of the way you designed them. So God, help them see what that means for them this week. Lord, sin distorted your purpose, but we know that you died to redeem these women in this room. Lord, help them to remember that. And in Christ, they can be guarded in truth. They can live in contentment. They can submit to your authority. They can use their godly influence And because of Jesus, they can run to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.